I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Conrad O'Neill, joined this afternoon by Joe Thomas, Chris Beasley and Gav Buckland as we look ahead to what is said to be a huge six-week for Everton Football Club as the domestic action returns next week when Everton welcome Wolverhampton Wanderers to Goodison Park. But lads, I think we can all safely say we were engrossed last night watching the World Cup final. I think it's a tournament that comes under you know, huge scrutiny. There's a lot of backlash around it, but the final in terms of the spectacle for what it was delivered. I think to start off, we'd be wrong if we didn't have a quick look back at that game. And Chris, I'll start with you because as someone who I think has watched a lot of World Cup finals, certainly in my time, that was the best one I've ever seen. To be fair, Gav must have watched more than me, but I've got my I've got my Argentinian shirt um, on as such today. It's <laughs> not covered up. Um, no, uh, yeah, it was it was, a great, it was a great game, wasn't it? And it was I think it was the result that most people certainly who I know um, wanted. People wanted to see Lionel Messi finish with that elusive um, World Cup winners medal, and uh, you know obviously France would have been the first team in sixty years to retain. The trophy, but it, it had everything, didn't it? it? Looked like Argentina were, were going to stroll it, two 0 up, looking comfortable, and then obviously two goals in the space of ninety seconds, whatever it was, just totally turned it on its head. Went into extra time, more drama. Messi thought he he he'd done it again, only for Mbappe to get the the, the hat trick. Obviously, equal Jeff Hurst's um, record getting a hat trick in, in the final and. Uh, Going, going to penalties, I must have thought when it went to penalties, I thought from the psychological point of view, because France had come back on a couple of occasions, I probably fancied them to do it. But I was I was made up for Messi to, to do that. I mean, he was fantastic. I mean, eight years ago, he got player of the tournament ahead of James Rodriguez, who was obviously top scorer at those finals. And I thought it's a bit of a nonsense, really, because he didn't really do much beyond the group stages. But he's obviously been phenomenal each each game, scoring in every round this this time round, and this, you know, it's a fitting farewell to a career of one of the world's um, greatest players. You know, I'm not going to stick my neck out like some people have said that he, he is the best, but I think Henry Winter got it right personally when he said, you know, Pele, Maradona, and Messi are the three best players of all time, and maybe you can argue over what order they, they come in. Gav, was you one of them sitting there yesterday hoping that the little man again with big moments? Uh, no, I'm not a fan. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know why. It's just I, I don't know why, and I'm not being concerned on anything. I mean, I must prefer Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo. I, I always like players with a bit more power and pace. You know, like Brazilian Ronaldo would be my favourite out of out of any of them. Uh, and I don't like, shall we say, without getting too political, where Messi gets some of his money from as well. Um, and I don't, and I don't like the phoning in the media. And I, I know we're part of the media, we're podcasting. I don't like the phoning in the, the national media and beyond in television over them as well. Um, so I was, I would have shed no tears if they got beat yesterday. Um, to be honest with you, uh, for those reasons, 
And it, let's face it, it was you wouldn't have said it was a great game after 75 minutes, would you really? It was it was dramatic, wasn't it? You know, it was the last 40 minutes, about, about 10 minutes, 15 minutes of normal time and 30 extra time and then penalties was, was as good as and dramatic as what you'll ever see, wouldn't it really, to be fair? It was a real edge of the seat stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, so at least uh, at least he got his got his winners winners medal. Uh, compared to Maradona, I'd always have Maradona, but I think that's a that's an that's an eighty. I think the one thing I'd always say is about Messi and Maradona is don't know what the greatest greatest of them is is nobody take took more talent for playing football on space than Maradona. I think that is beyond doubt in terms of playing the game, in terms of like playing football, without a shadow of doubt. How you apply that talent is a completely different thing. But I'd I'd say, you know, um, you know, unquestionably Maradona has the best talent of any football I've ever seen. But yeah, yeah, Messi, yeah, it should please a lot of people. Um, you know, but I was yeah, it was um, it was dramatic, wasn't it really? Game of opinions. I agree with uh, Gav's po- point about Maradona. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Joe, I think in terms of, of wetting the appetite for the big return of the Premier League next Monday, it, done, it certainly did that, didn't it, for fans all over the all over the globe. Whether you know Everton, Liverpool, whoever, that certainly wet the appetite for what you know the big, the big, the big return of the domestic game next week. I don't know, to be honest, Connor. I think a lot of Everton fans I've spoken to have been quite pleased to have had the World Cup to kind of <laughs> and wait to hide behind. And I think a lot of, a lot of, I mean, I've, I've been, obviously it's my job, I've been living in Everton for the last six weeks. We're out to Australia with them. We, you know, last week I was at Lincoln in a, on a freezing Tuesday night <laughs> watching the under-21s. You know, I've been with Anthony Gordon last week, been with Amadou Inanna and Asmir Begovic this morning. So obviously... You know, I haven't been able to escape from it, but I know a lot of other people have, and for legitimate reasons, after the uh, the last week before we went. And I think, as much as I enjoyed watching the World Cup final uh, last last night, I must admit, as soon as it finished, and I saw, I went on Twitter, and all of a sudden, all these people coming back on and saying, "Everton are back, Everton are back." Now it's all about Boxing Day, and I was kind of looking ahead to Boxing Day a week today as we record, and thinking, "Everton are back," and bloody hell, like that's going to be. Some game against Wolves, it's like it's no plain sailing, easy return, gentle walk back into the Premier League action. It's straight back with a massive game that's going to be crucial to setting the tone for what, as you started the podcast by saying, is an absolutely huge six weeks, not just for Everton, but, but for Frank Lampard as well. So, you know, I think now everyone can, everyone from outside the club, from outside the football industry can kind of refocus their minds on on, on, on Boxing Day, on Everton, on Wolves, on what's going on at Finch Farm, and what Frank Lampard will say at his press conference later this week, on what Wolves will do in, in the Carabao Cup this week, as we look at you know how their squad's looking and how Julian Lopetegui's looking, their new manager. Um, and with all that comes the kind of, the, yes, the excitement and the passion, but also the kind of, you know, I think that, that, that the nerves of what might what might be heading our way. Please. Joe used the, the word nerves there. Do you think there's almost a fear among Evertonians ahead of the you know the, the restart next Monday in that given where the club found themselves in before this break, which you know does seem a long time ago now, but you know, yeah. three defeats on the spin, you know, but on the Carabao Cup in the manner in which they did, and ultimately, you know, plummeting to one place and one point above the relegation zone. There's a bit of a fear that if things don't go well in these next six weeks, that it could be another long, long few months for blue supporters. 
Yeah, as I was talking to Michael Ball earlier, we've got a column coming up later, and I think we both agreed that the closer we get to this Boxing Day fixture, Everton Wolves, the, the bigger it seems to be getting, the, the more magnitude it seems to be built. And I know that Frank has never sort of liked to overplay the importance of individual fixtures, but come on, I think this one, I think I think they need, they, they need a reaction. I mean, it was twofold, this, this break. Um, it stopped the rot for Everton and what was a disastrous last week before the World Cup break. Everton was sort of ticking around. It wasn't spectacular, but it was kind of, you could see the progression from last season and they were doing enough. Let's remember if, they, if I know it's a big if, but you know, if they are beaten Leicester City, they've gone into the top half of the table and albeit temporarily even gone above Liverpool. But three successive defeats in that those last seven days were disastrous, really, the way they concertinaed that bottom half of the division and left Everton a point above the, the relegation zone. I mean, on the one hand, you know, on, on paper, it's your, it's, your, it's your easiest game of the season because it's at home to the bottom club, but we know it's not like that. We know it's not going to be like that. As Joe said, it's first Premier League game for a new manager at Wolves. They're going to be wanting to make a, a big impression there. And if they were to to win at Goodison, which he did last season, of course, Connor Cody, of all people, who, who obviously can't play against his parent club, got the winner that day. That was a very flat day at Goodison. You know, if they were to do that again, they'd be within the point of Everton and uh, things really would be looking bleak. I think Everton also need to get a result ahead of that New Year's Eve trip to Manchester City and there's other tough away games to come in, in, in January too. So, yeah, I think we point, I think Michael, when he was speaking to me, Michael Ball was pointing at these three home games, not just Wolves, but uh, as it Brighton and Southampton as well, and the importance of these three forthcoming home fixtures over the next month. Gavin, I know you made this point on a podcast before the World Cup break about the teams in and around Everton having made changes or were making changes in terms of management. Obviously, Wolves are one of them clubs. It'll be Locatelli's first Premier League game in charge. Obviously, Wolves played Gillingham, I think it was on Thursday night in the Carabao Cup. But it always seems to be Evans, doesn't it, where these managers crop up in the, the first game. <laughs> I, don't I, I don't know if this is just me, but it always seems to be Everton where you know the, the new manager starts as Ray, you know, you know, there's always something riding on these games when Everton when Everton in town or when a club comes to Everton. Yeah, I think that theory first uh read this up we had in nineteen fifty eight when Bill Dixon took charge of Spurs on the Saturday morning, they played Everton in the in the afternoon and they stuck ten past us. Um <laughs> I think ever since then it's been a day that yeah you we're always on the 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 the, um, the rough end of the first games yeah I think Pot I think well, Pochettino was one wasn't he I think and yeah I think with Southampton was quite a few I don't know it's one of them. I mean it's going to be slightly different though isn't it because of the time scales between the 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 the, the appointments in the game so I'm not sure whether that plays into it I mean that there'll be a lot of That'd be a lot, of, you know, going on the break for these players. Be like, like a lot of new managers, you're coming back after six week breaks. It's like, please, you know, come back to you know, pre season, isn't it? So, I'm not sure what that really applies here, to be honest with you. Um, but the general point does does apply though, doesn't it? Is that you know, the talk, the the, the rare conversations I've had about Everton over the World Cup when, when I've not been slacking Messi off is, um. <laughs> <laughs> No, seriously, it is the fact that compared to, and I don't want to compare it to last year, but I will, is that last year you always felt that there's probably two teams who were probably always going to go down. Mm. Um, you know, whatever happens, and then one of the other places was up for grabs. Um, this season, as we've seen so far, I don't think it's that clear cut. 
So in many respects, it's going to be a tougher, a tougher season than last season. Even though for the for, for the improvements that Frank has brought this year, and I know you spoke to you, Joe, about tightening up the, the midfield and and the defence uh, when he was in Australia. So even allowing for that, I still think it's going to be a tougher, a, a tougher campaign. Um, and there's a couple of teams who were in near the bottom a few weeks ago. We were Aston Villa and Leicester, who were flying hard. I suppose we want one of the better phrase, and but that just shows you for us how how a couple of results can change things. And we've got three winnable home games. If we get get nine points from those three matches, which we're capable of, we're having a conversation, aren't we, in, in mid January, where we're we're back in mid-table and hopefully in the uh, fourth round of the FA Cup as well. And okay. yeah, so so it can't, it can't change. Basically, what I'm saying there, Colin, is it can change very quickly, can't it? Because the concertina was that word that was just used, wasn't it? I don't know what it means, but it sounds good. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of clubs quite close together. A couple of wins, you're mid-table, aren't you? And you've got a bit of confidence, like happened to us. And you, 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 your aspirations are different, aren't they, for the last the second half of the season? Joe, I think that's the important thing, isn't it? Because I think, you know, probably certainly I'm guilty of this is we always maybe look at the negative and, and what the worst thing that could happen and, and what, you know, what could potentially happen in the long run in terms of a negative way. But that's the other side of what Gav made a good point there, isn't it? Is, you know, if Everton get a couple of wins in these next three home, you know, they win the next three home games, maybe pick up a point, a point on the road, all of a sudden momentum shifts and Everton will be, you know, looking up and, and will be comfortably mid table and not nervously looking over the shoulder. You know, possibly a tough couple of months that could lie ahead. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. I mean, some of the kind of the the longer pieces that I've done over over the what's effectively been a winter break. You know, you have to kind of set the right context for it. And you know, Chris has already alluded to it. Go into that Leicester game. The talk wasn't really of a relegation battle. It was talk of being in the top half of the table. Should Everton get a win, which felt eminently possible going into that game. If the World Cup break had finished. 180 Premier League, it started 180 Premier League minutes earlier. Most Everton fans, I think, would have spent this last six weeks in a relatively positive mood, looking ahead to, to January and thinking what possibilities could lie ahead if Everton can either get Dominic Calvert-Lewin fit or bring in a few more attacking reinforcements or, or a little bit of both. Obviously, the manner in which things unfolded that last week of such a like a negative kind of shadow over over the six weeks that, that have followed. But it is important to remember that you know as both the contributors have said so far today, you know that that bottom half of the table and even the bottom half of the top end of the table, like it's stacked together. Everton have you know they've got a handful of if you take Man City out of the equation, they've got a handful of very, very winnable games going into the middle of January, even up to, to West Ham away. You know, it's a game that they can take points away from. So it's inevitable. You know, what what we have to be pleased with, or it is in Everton's hands. Everton have got the fixtures to be able to pull themselves well clear of trouble for a couple of weeks, and get in, you know, get to the back end of January and really kind of building some momentum for a season. And I think that's kind of you know for, for me for Everton the main aim this season has to be kind of getting to. It's, it, obviously, it's getting safe, but getting safe at a point early enough where they can plan for next season in advance. I think that was one of the things that they really struggled with last year. They effectively, because it took so long to guarantee Premier League safety, because it came so late in the day, they, they effectively conceded three, four weeks of transfer planning and forward planning and plotting and negotiating and 
and things like that on on a lot of their rivals. So they you know, they conceded that head start, and I think for me. I think that Frank Lampard can be successful at Everton. I think he can help take the club forward. I think he can lead real progress at the club. But in order to be able to do so, I think he's got to get to this summer first. He's got to ride out this little storm now. and He's got to make it to the summer because I think the summer is... Obviously, we've had, he's had the summer transfer window last year. He was able to let go of a few players. We've already seen in terms of this January, you know, Rondon's gone, which is a significant departure. And one that they'll be very pleased with at Finch Farm to you know to have done as much as Rondon may well have been a model professionally clearly wasn't part of the first team plans there, and then there are a couple more contracts at end in this summer which just again just give Frank Lampard and Kevin Farwell that that freedom to carry on the next stage of their transition but they've just got to get there first and I think <clears throat> obviously that that game against Wolves is huge the games that follow are huge but. Talk about three wins. They take seven points in those first three home games and they'll be, you know, 15th and above and, and things will be looking relatively positive. If they can supplement that with a few, you know, incomers in the January transfer window, then, you know, there's no reason why this can't turn into a very good season for Everton. Please, you know, Joel name-checked him there, but <laughs> one name who Everton appeared to have got, you know, back to some sort of fitness, whether he will be fitting up to play against Wolves next Monday remains to be seen. Jamie is another one who's returned back training after picking up a knock at the Sydney Super Cup. The six-week break, you know, although a lot of fans were against it first, for Everton, that's really coming a good time in terms of where they were punch-wise, but in terms of being able to bring back injured players and get, you know, Dyke to Dominic Calvert-Lewin back fifth, it's been crucial, hasn't it? Because they've not felt the force of having six or eight weeks without their main, main, main centre forwards. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, I mean, it would have been bad, wouldn't it, if they'd have had to, you know, go on the back of those three defeats, and then obviously Calvert Lewin unavailable um, remains to be seen. Just how sharp he is, and the rest of them um, come Boxing Day because it's, it's a big period. I think whether it, whether he's fit or not, I think Everton need to bring in attacking reinforcements uh, uh, in January. Whether that, you know, that's a, I think certainly thinking that that's some sort of orthodox striker, and then maybe some more creative attacking midfield player and we, again we use that plural because I just don't think you can depend on it. it'd be great it'd be great if he could play the majority of the games the second half of the season and get back to to his best because he was a very durable player you know not too long in there ago just a couple of years ago you know he did hardly miss a game but just given his recent track record I think um you just can't have you can't take that risk of, of not having extra reinforcements. It'll also be interesting to see what kind of work they've done with Neil Mopé over this break. I mean, he got his goal in, in Australia, albeit against, you know, a much lesser opposition than he'd be fit, facing here in, in, in the Premier League. But, um, yeah, it's clear what Everton's um, issue was. I mean, last season, 66 goals, was it, they conceded. Lampard made some priority to bring in those 
two centre backs. One, of course, obviously Connor Cody can't play against his parent club Wolves. But yeah, see, it's, e- it's easy to see where the problems have been this year. Just haven't scored enough goals. Wolves, of course, the only team in the Premier League to score fewer goals than Everton. Gav, the beast for Sean Table is vital, isn't it? Everton bringing some sort of attack and reinforcements in January. You know, obviously, all the focus will be on the games and, and what's to come. But you know, off the pitch, this is a big month, isn't it? In terms of it, next month is a big month in terms of getting people in and making sure that the Everton squad is strong enough moving into the final few months of the season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you would think an attacking player would be priority, but I'm caveat it, of course, that, you know, how much money we got to spend here. And you, you spoke there about getting getting people off the books as well, possibly in January. So it's how much we've got to spend in terms of how it's accounted for, but how much cash we've actually got within the business to 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 pay people. So it may it may be maybe loans, mightn't it, something like that, perhaps. Um, but you, you, given the fair wind, you'd expect a couple of players in, certainly at a, um, at a striker and possibly an attacking attacking midfielder. But what 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 at the same time is sometimes you don't score. It's not just down to your lack of striking options; is that you don't score goals. You know, it's getting that attacking blends right, isn't it? And you'd like to think over the over the five or six weeks, we've been looking at ways of getting that attacking blends right in the final third. Because you can bring you could bring Messi and couldn't you? Like, but if you've got nobody feeding them and out wide, it's going to be a struggle. So we have to we have to get a way of playing that maximizes the, the opportunities we can we can give for the striker. Um that, that's the only thing that makes it worthwhile for me. So there's it's 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 not just a case of bringing a striker in; it's making it making it work for the team. And it, it would be interesting, isn't it? Because Mope and Calvert-Lewin slightly di- are different types of strikers, aren't they? You know, which which works for you. You want to play them together. Doesn't work. Can work against you if you're alternating them. And so it would be interesting to see if they bring another attacker in. Who is it like? Is it like a Mope type player or a? A Calvert Lewin type player or somebody in between, so it's it, it's 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 that that aspect to it, isn't it? That I think is intriguing. What type of striker would you bring in? And uh, and then that depends what whether they're available or not. But yeah, you, you are right. We do need to bring two or three in striker and attacking midfielder for me. But um, I'd like to you know to make that work. I've got to see people going out, haven't you? And also as well, I suspect. In what we'll spend in January, we'll end up may having to do what we did last year. I think somebody who's a sailor blast has to go at the end of June to pay. Just, to pay. just, to what, just what you said there, Gav, about you know, tap and creativity. Because I know you've made this point before on pods, but are you hoping that in the time Frank Lampard had to work with Everton's players, and obviously some of them were available because of the World Cup and stuff, to see a little bit more in terms of coaching and, and style of play and, and patterns of play moving forward? Because yeah. I know, I know you said it, but a lot of other fans have been quite critical of, of Frank in that they don't really see a plan in terms of when they get the ball and go forward. It seems a little bit kind of one-dimensional and, and very kind of... There's no structure to how, how this seems to be... No, but, I mean, the, the, the counter to that, to the criticism, is saying, well, I tell you what, just play like he did against Crystal Palace and it's over 90 minutes in terms of attack yeah. and maybe scored, what, two or three great goals. So it's obviously there. It's just getting it out of the team. Uh, I know it would be slightly difficult with Anana and um, Garner Gay being on World Cup duty, but you know I don't think it should have been a passive thing. Should have the, uh, the, the six weeks off, we should have been 
getting at the players and the, and the wingers and so on, getting them to, you know, understand their roles better. Because is, is it still right, McNeil? The, the three wingers haven't got an assist in the Premier League between them this season. Is that right? I think yes. Oh, it might it might be one. I think between the three. Well, it's not many, is it? You would no. expect a lot more than that. So yeah, it, it, striker for me. Yeah, but I think we need to. It, it, it's getting to all blend in together, isn't it? Really. John, you've wrote quite extensively in, in the last six weeks about Everton's kind of transfer plans and what you know Frank Lampard and Kevin Thelwell are working on. They've got a list of players and you know they are in constant communication. But do you think it's almost a big test now for the two of them that they, they've got to get this right because given they've had time to work together, given they've had time to plan things out, you know, I suspect you know, since the summer window started, Lampard will have known areas where he wants to improve. It's a big test for them now in terms of you know making that into a reality and getting people in and actually going to add something to to the Blues' squad? It is a test. I think it's a test for a number of reasons. The January transfer window is, is always notoriously difficult. The reality is good players who are settled at clubs don't really want to move for, for obvious reasons. You throw into that the fact that you've got the World Cup as well and, and, and what that does to, to players' valuations and the knock-on effect that that has to the clubs where, you know, and the impact it has on players who might not have been at the World Cup but their teammates have is also going to be significant I mean look Everton wants to bring in two attackers during the January transfer window that that is the plan uh, I think they're hopeful of doing it without having to really secure any outgoings I think they there is a belief that they can bring in two attackers of the quality that they need albeit it may be on loan deals it may be kind of carefully structured agreement in terms of how they pay it may be that they have to be savvy with with who they get and how they go, go get it, but like, yeah, they they hope that they can bring in two players, two attacking players. They had the profiles had before the World Cup. They had a shortlist drawn up at the World Cup. They didn't go into the World Cup heavily scouting anybody that was going to be involved in the World Cup. They they, they didn't. You know, they they were keeping a watching brief on it, and obviously there'll be players that may have caught the eye. But going into the World Cup, they weren't going into there with tracking someone very very closely. And to be honest, I take a little bit of heart from that because I think one of the, you know, when I've spoken to, to the Frank, one of the words that he's used when he's tr- trying to describe how they want to be in the transfer market is calculated. And the reality is that if they've got a shortlist drawn up and the top five players are at the World Cup, well, you're leaving so much to, to chance and fortune that you don't know what's going to happen with them. You know, they, they might have cracking World Cups and, you know, they might, you know, their value might increase to the point where they're no longer attainable by Everton. They might get injured in the World Cup and therefore all of a sudden they can't do a job immediately or defects might show up in their game, which make you, you question whether or not you want to get them. And all of a sudden, you know, you spent six weeks going into the World Cup carefully curating your shortlist. And then over the course of a couple of weeks, it's all ripped to shreds because, you know, all of a sudden you don't want any of those players or, or, or you can't get them. So, you know, I, I think they have a clear plan for what they want to do. You know, there's, as I say, two attacking signings is a priority. There's going to be a big emphasis on outgoings. We've already seen that with Rondon. But obviously, outgoings depends on who wants players, who's willing to go, what deals can be done. I think outgoings would, at this stage would probably be used to... I think they, they can get two attacking players. And if, if they get outgoings that they want, they might see... You know, they'll be fluid how things are going. They might be able to get improvements elsewhere, depending on on, on, on what they're going to do. So, but 
that's the problem with the World Cup. You know, the knock-on effect is all of a sudden, like we saw it at the back end of the summer transfer window. You know, Mohamed Kudus, you know, you look at the season that he's had with Ajax, the goals he scored in the Champions League, the impression he's made at the World Cup with, you know, with, with Ghana has been, you know, sensational. He was right on the cusp of signing for Everton. But then all of a sudden, Manchester United have a terrible start to the season. They're looking to make emergency moves in the transfer market. And all of a sudden, they're willing to pay an astronomical fee that Ajax can't turn down for, for Anthony. And because of that, because of something that's not in Everton's control whatsoever, all of a sudden, Kudos deal gets 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 knocked on the head because Ajax don't want to lose another attacking midfield player. They don't want to lose Anthony and Kudos. And it's all those types of ripple effects that's going to affect the business in, in January. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens. Obviously, what we're going through now is... You know, players have been returning to their squads from World Cup duty and they will continue to do so over the next week or so. And managers up and down Europe are going to be reassessing their squad and looking at who's injured, who's fit, what can they get. All of a sudden, this player might be in demand. So, you know, now I've got a counter to the fact that I might lose him, so I can't let him go or I've got to find a replacement. So there is, it's going to be a really, really tricky transfer window. But hopefully what Frank Lampard and Kevin and Bowell have done is spotted that early and planned it in such a way that they can almost, you know, they, they were uh, limited the risk of what the tra- what the World Cup could do on their January plans. So, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. But it's it's clearly a test. Like the, you know, we, we all know that they need reinforcements. That's clear. There's only so much improvement they can do at Finch Farm on the training ground. This is going to be a test. It's going to be a test on almost three areas really the first one is can they get Dominic Calvert-Lewin back fit and you know what role does he play the second is can they work out a way to play with Neil Motor certainly you know until any signs come in because it will probably take a while to get things over the line can they work out a way of playing without Dominic Calvert-Lewin because I think that's what they have to do now I think you know Dominic Calvert-Lewin could have a brilliant future with Everton, you know, he could get back fit, find form, find momentum and score goals. But it felt like, I know Neil Mopes had a lot of criticism, it feels, over the winter break for not scoring the goals, not creating, you know, goals in the back end of, of the first half of the season. But the reality is Everton didn't play to his strengths. It felt to me like Everton were almost always, they were always on the cusp of Dominic Calvert-Lewin coming back. And as a result of that, they always played for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And when Mopé came in, they still played as if they were playing to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He's such a different type of player that you can't do that. So in these early games, and what I hope they've been doing at Finch Farm is been training in a, in a manner to hopefully get the best out of Neil Mopé on the chance that they need to rely upon him as, as their main striker, at least in the early time of the season. And then obviously the third factor is, yeah, what they can do in the transfer market, what reinforcements they can do, what can... They get a good summer transfer window. You know, you take... You know, Dominic, I know it's all ifs and buts, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin doesn't pick up the injury on the eve of the season. I think we're looking at a very different start to the season. For I certainly think they're at least a couple of points better off than than where they are now, and if a couple more points will make a big difference in in the table and where they are for the reasons that we've already discussed. You know, the Idrissa Gay signing became a protracted nightmare. Well, you know, in a, in an alternative reality, Everton have already got Idrissa Gay at the, when the season starts because that shouldn't have taken as long as it did. Dominic Calvert-Lewin doesn't get injured and all of a sudden Everton look a lot stronger at the start of the season. And again, it could be a very different opening 15 games. Unfortunately, that's not been the case for Everton. And 
as a result, Kevin and, and Frank have to react in the transfer market. But the other thing that they've got to do is, and this is going to be the really another interesting element is they have to, and I think there's an appetite from everyone uh, at Everton to move away from the from the, the the type of spending that they were doing in the early Farhad Mashiri years, where they had a problem and they just spent whatever money it took to go and solve that short term problem without thinking the long term. Everton can't afford to do that, and there's a desire not to do that. So they need to find answers to immediate answers to short term problems because they need goals. They need to stay in the Premier League. They need to be more creative. They need to be more ruthless in front of goal. But what they can't do is. They can't just go and start spending money willy-nilly. There has to be a long-term plan for each of the signs that they do come in. It has to be almost like a legacy process as well. So it's going to be a really tough January. It's going to be a really interesting one for us to watch. And obviously, Evans' Premier League life you know, depends on it. But when you look at the January transfer market, when you look at elements of, of the way they start the season, there are reasons to be positive. You know, there are There have been signs of sensible people making sensible decisions that follow a plan. So hopefully we'll see a continuation of that from Frank and Kevin, you know, over the next few weeks. And hopefully we'll see, you know, that start to bear fruit on the pitch and in the results. But in, in terms of plans, Frank Lampard is going to have to plan to face Wardrobe. <laughs> he's, he's become probably Mr. Reliable so far this season, but just in terms of his loan deal, because he can't break into permanent club on Boxing Day. Michael Keane, Yanni Mina, Mason Holgate, Ben Godfrey, just some of the options that Frank Lampard has at his disposal um, in the place of Cozy. Who would you like to see given the nod to go to some park next Monday? Obviously, to drive alongside James Farkas, can we imagine? The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, it's interesting one because I'm not sure whether my choice will necessarily tally with, with the managers. I mean... Uh, but the short answer would be Michael Keane, who is, I think would be the one to, to, to slot in for me. But um, Ben Godfrey's obviously come back from the, the injury now. I'm never too sure these days where we're up to with uh, Yeni Mina, unfortunately. Um, Mason Holgate might even be ahead of um, Michael Keane in, in, in the manager's thoughts. But of course, he had that awful um, display uh, in the Carabao Cup game at Bournemouth, not that anyone carried themselves and covered themselves in, in glory uh, on, on either of those uh, trips to the South Coast. So, yeah, that, um, I go for for Michael Keane personally. I know they're now, you know, they're, they're a major doubt over whether he's going to remain um, Everton second half of the season. There seems to be some loan interest in him and, you know, he's gone from being more or less um, a, a regular, hasn't he, um, in, in his first... Um, how long has he been there now? Five years now, isn't it? Since he, he came to Everton. This is the first time he's not been a regular in the side. I think um, Michael Keane, when you ask him to do what you know Michael Keane's good at, you know, the sense of half basics, I, th- I think he, he he's very um, effective. So, I mean, he, he would be my choice whether or not um, he, he's got a, a longer-term future at the club. Gav, you with Bees, I saw the way you looked at Bees when he said... Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you are you on the same hymn sheet as, as Bees, or would you go with one of the others? Um, 
I wasn't expecting that, but Chris put perfect case for him, really, because there's let's face it, you can there's not not a not a striking option, is it? You know, not a striking option, uh centre half option probably. Um to, to, to use, isn't it? I mean, I, I personally if he was fit, I'd get meaner on the pitch. To be fair, but I think they said they don't know where we are up to. <laughs> fitness, I don't think we ever been up. Maybe <laughs> not where we're up to, but he'd mean his fitness. Um, I, I get meaner on the pitch, but I don't know. I mean, I'd tell you why I get meaner on the pitch to show he was fit if he wanted to try and get rid of him in January, to be honest with you. Um, mm-hmm. that'd be one mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think Keen Hallgate, but yeah. Keen is a uh, interesting choice, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that because he'll come and do a job for you, only Keen is as Chris said. But ideally, for me, Mina, for, for a number of reasons, it's a big call, though, isn't it, Gal, for Frank Lampard to make? Because given how well Tarkovsky and Cody have been so far this season, how you know they've struck up such a perfect partnership and, and being so resilient for such a big game to throw one of them, you know, for someone to come off from, in from the coals is, is, is a big ask. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Cody and Tarkovsky would have had played most games, have they, since Connor came? Is it fair to everyone? Um, yeah, I mean, but the only thing I'd say is it goes back to the six-week thing, isn't it? It's going to be a little bit... Uh, everybody's going to be in that boat, are to a degree, who comes back and plays on Boxing Day? It's going to be like the first game of the season, so there's going to be a bit of rust in the set all round. Uh, to be honest with you, so it won't be it won't be as much of much of a challenge as what it would be if it was just part of the regular season. So I, perhaps not not but not that case in terms of being a massive challenge for them. I, I, I actually think, to be fair, I think Cody and Tarkovsky were showing signs of uh, rustiness and a little bit needed the rest before before the um, before the break. But but it'll be interesting to see who comes in. There's three or four candidates there. I get I get Keen definitely. Hallgate, I say, was a bit, didn't do himself any justice at Bournemouth, but I'm Godfrey's sort of in and around playing, isn't he? Um, I believe, but yeah, meaner for me, but I wouldn't say he knows of Hakeem. Joe, it's one vote for Michael Keen. <laughs> so you've got the custom vote. Well, I, think, uh, I mean, obviously, look, where we're at with where we're at with Mina and Godfrey is they're both back training with the first team. You could see that from the videos and the images put out by the club over you know, the back end of last week. So they're both close to full fitness if they're not already fully fit. Ben Godfrey's been playing minutes throughout the break for the under-21s. His last run out was, was uh, against Mansfield in the Papa John's Trophy. I think he, he might have played in, a, in another game after that, but I was there for the, for the Mansfield game. He looked all right. I mean, that was... That's 30th of November, I think, that game. He still looked a little bit rusty then, but that was that was a month ago. I think in terms of the like kind of the player profile in most similar type of centre back to, to to Cody. I mean it's 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 hard to have a look, but I think you know there is a compelling case for Keane. I think Mina's the best centre back of those going. Obviously, again with injuries. I almost go for a, a third option that hasn't been mentioned, and I wonder if Bearing in mind how significant this game is, bearing in mind the injury concerns, which will still be, even if they appear to be fully fit, you know, we'll still linger over Ben Godfrey and we'll still linger over Yerry Mina. And bearing in mind what we've seen for Frank Lampard in, in the past, like I think it's fair to say that he's a, a cautious manager. I think he plays it safe 
I think he'll go into this game looking at it. This is a game that's imperative that we don't lose it rather than a must win. And for that reason, I wonder if what he might do is revert to to playing three centre-backs to try and mitigate some of the risk around bringing back players from injury and some of the uncertainty about partnerships. He's not sure about what the makeup of that three would be. I'm not entirely sure, but he could go for something, you know, like obviously you've got Tarkovsky there. Maybe you'll put Mina and Godfrey in together. So you, you've got Mina for the obvious skills that he brings and you've got Godfrey for the pace that he can offer around the back or, you know, say maybe Holgate will get a look in, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if that was his move come come Boxing Day. If, you know, an hour comes out from kickoff and, and we look at that team sheet when it comes out and actually he's got, there isn't a way, there isn't a way in which he solves a problem and doesn't have a concern and, Therefore, I wanted the safest thing that he might end up doing is, is playing you know, essentially five at the back with with, with three centre-backs. I think, you know, we talk about injured players. We talk about the fear of, say, you know, I, I think it's it's pretty obvious that the club would take decent bids for if they were forthcoming for either Keane or Mina. And obviously playing them risks the chances of, of them getting injured or having bad displays and getting themselves out of the shop window, potentially. I think Everton's situation at the moment is such that they have to put that out the back of their mind and what they have to do, certainly for these first few games when they come back. Obviously, if they get the results that they need, it might change come the middle of January. They have to put out the 11 players that they think can give them the best opportunity to get three points. That has to be the plan at the moment, you know. So, I, you know, I, I think that, I think he may well go five at the back, uh, three centre-backs, and that might be, the solution to the Connor Cody being absent problem. I mean, one thing that, that I would say is this is a this is a problem that they've known about since well, obviously the moment they signed him, but they've had six weeks to think about this. So, give or take, you know, there's been a few injuries and that hinders planning, and there'll be a bit of uncertainty about. Well, there would have been a bit of uncertainty about when Godfrey can come back. One thing there is is there's no excuse for them not having planned for this because it's the one it's one of the few things that they could go into war saying well, we know this is something that we've got to address. So whoever the partnership is, whatever the formation is, you would think that they spent you know, a considerable amount of time last week and hopefully this week thinking about it, how to mitigate it and, and how to put themselves in the best position to, to get a result uh, on Boxing Day. Gents, just before we finish, there was some big news today. And that was that Jordan Pickford with crowned Everton fans as Player of the Year for 2022. Bees, I'll start with you because I know that you backed Jordan Pickford in our little panel vote to, to be yeah. crowned this year's champion after Dominic Carvalho claimed the honour last year. So I take it you were a happy man when the news broke at the 12 o'clock today, Bees, that Jordan Pickford would scoop the vote? Yeah, but I thought that, I mean, we all, between <clears throat> you and myself, we had four candidates and we both picked a couple each, didn't we? And I think that realistically it was always going to be between Jordan Pickford and Alex Awobi. It was two main... Uh, candidates for the crown I just think that um, Jordan's consistency over the year I mean it's ironic actually that he you know he went into the the World Cup break with um, the back of that blooper at Bournemouth but I mean despite what you know he's many critics and a bit further afield than ourselves might say about him he's been tremendously consistent for club and country for a long time now and as Frank Lampard even himself said you know on that Aspel Equeta Save, um, got saved of the season. Frank said during the pre-season trip to USA, he told an audience in Washington, D.C. He thought that 
I'll probably say with the Premier League era, it really was that good. And all I would add to that is that um, I know Gavin and I have been waxing lyrical about Big Nev not uh, not too long ago, and that you know that was as good as anything I've ever seen from Neville Southall. So I can't pay him any higher compliment than that. Gav can all be Alex will all be Richardson, aren't you, Gordon? Have any grants? Any you know any disappointment that they didn't get the nod over Jordan Pickford? Uh, did you mention the Charleston? Yeah, the, they were yeah. the four nominees. Charles think him and Anthony Dorn are leading goal scorers this calendar year, are do you think in the in the Premier League? Yeah. Um, yeah, now I think you've got to give it to, to, to Jordan Avenue who's been consistent all season. But big shout for Alex who who, who came back when was the Newcastle games that February, was it March? March, uh, yeah, St. Patrick's. So he's had a good good nine months, hasn't he? Alex, excellent. Yeah. I mean, did the one if you were really I mean Michelenko hasn't done any anything wrong as he really as well, as you say. Um yeah, it, it, it's between Pickford and Awobi, but I think Pickford's provided a few more standout moments, not just the, the save off, you know, the save against Chelsea, the several games at the end of last season and this season when he's been outstanding, he's won his points. So He's the outstanding candidate for me and totally well deserved. About yourself, Joe, are you you in the gonna make a hat trick of Jordan Pickford backers, or do you think Alex Wolby was hard done to? Because I certainly do. I, mm-hmm. I would have for Alex Wolby if it was down to me. I, I think I think it can only really go for Pickford. I think Richarlison, I know he hasn't been there since the summer, but he deserves a lot of credit because you know the way he battled and worked hard to keep Everton from um from relegation. Yeah, what was significant, obviously, he's only got the first six months of the year to his name. Awobi's been fantastic. You know, his his renaissance, his revival story at Everton is is, is superb, and it's one that I think everybody takes a lot of joy from. Anthony Gordon's emergence also shouldn't be overlooked. You know, I think that, um, you know, he had a really good break for a year last season. I think there have been times when he's shown how important he can be to this Everton side this season, you know, albeit they were... A lot earlier, you know, the goals against Brentford, the goals against Leeds. Um, but I think it's got it's got to be Pickford. You look back at those Chelsea saves, not just those Chelsea. I remember that huge win that followed it up away at, at Leicester, and uh, he made a couple of big saves there. The win against Manchester United that Anthony Gordon scored in. He made a big save from Ronaldo in the last minute. He made a couple of good saves from Palace, even at three-two to to Everton on that last game of the season. And then he, again, you look at this. This season so far, I mean, some of his saves in the Merseyside derby were phenomenal. And then, remember being at um, Fulham, Fulham a couple of weeks ago with you, Connor, and that save from William was was absolutely just breathtaking. And he followed it up with a, another kind of characteristic flying save from Mitrovic. So, in terms of your highlights reel, I think for bearing, especially bearing in mind how few goals Evan scored, when it comes to the highlights reel, no one's got a better one of those than Jordan Pickford for for this season and over the course of 12 months. And yeah, there have been frustrating moments. Um, you know, it was it was a shame that the penalty against Spurs after Everton had executed the game plan well for the first hour there. And obviously Bournemouth is probably the worst one. You know, that kind of sparked the downfall on the last day of the season, on the last day of the first part of the season, which Everton could really have done without. But, you know, for, for me, it's, it can only be Jordan Pickford. I think he's... He's a brilliant goalkeeper and, again, one of the other interesting conversations that we're going to be picking up probably over the next few weeks is where his contract negotiations are up to because 
Frank's always been very positive about them, but let's be honest, there's probably a few Champions League and Champions League chasing clubs that are probably starting to look at their goalkeepers, at their long-term goalkeepers at the moment, and are thinking, yeah, they might be coming to the end of their tenure, and Jordan Pickford, especially with where his contract is at, is probably one of those goalkeepers at the forefront of, of, of their thinking when they think of something they can realistically, uh, you know, a, a, a world-class keeper or a keeper who's certainly capable of world-class moments who might be attainable for the clubs that have got serious money. So we'll be interesting to see that. Although the uh, Croatian goalkeeper, I think he's at Dynamo Zagreb, isn't he, at an excellent World Cup. Yeah. So he's a, a much probably a much cheaper alternative that, that, that might, his performance in the World Cup might help Everton retained Jordan Pickford, I suppose. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens there long term. But for me, yeah, Pickford's been, been sensational for the most part this this calendar year for, for Everton. And as we keep saying, when everybody else questions it, for to be honest, the last few years for Everton. Gents, we will leave things there. I think we've chewed the fat enough overall things, Everton, despite having very little to reflect on, given the six weeks break that we've just all endured. But of course, Everton will be back in action next Monday when they welcome Wolves to Goodison Park. And we will should be back on Friday to preview that match and look back on Frank Lampard's pre-Wolves press conference where we will expect some injury news and transfer latest. Well, for today, Gav, Bees, Joe, thanks very much for joining me. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.